Oh, man. I mean, that's endless. I have a science podcast called Here We Are, Quick Plug, and I talk with about life science stuff all the time. And I'm just endlessly inundated with like, oh, I need to learn more about this subject. I need to learn more about this subject. You know, I, I guess it's like this constant like whack-a-mole of like, I notice that I have a big deficit in one particular area. And um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I like really get into that. And then, you know, that area doesn't need so much work. So like, I really need a brushing up on physics um, and and um, I, I, I could really, because we do a lot of life science stuff, a lot of like how the brain works and culture, sociology, behavioral economics, animal behavior, that sort of stuff. So I don't, I don't know anything about chemistry. So I need to fix that. I need to do like some chemistry 101. And it's been a while since I, I used to be into physics, but it's been a while and, and I, I really want to brush up. I used to... I used to love math, and I haven't done math in forever. It used to be my strongest subject. Now I, I would be starting from like algebra one or something like that, relearning. It's so endless. What What's one like right now specifically is, I mean, I, I know a bit about this, and it's just one of my favorite subjects to think about, but I, w I would say cognitive biases is something that I would just like to really be an absolute like expert on one day like right now i know a lot of the cognitive biases and the underpinnings of how they work but that, but i don't i don't necessarily know all the names of them readily and i would love to be able to like articulate this the this uh you know this is the dunning kruger effect or whatever and, and have those nice labels for them but cognitive biases are something that um yeah, uh, endlessly fascinating to me, which is basically, you know, the uh, the the way in which um, usually the brain has evolved to be biased in some certain way that aided the survival of the genes, not necessarily the interest of the individual. And so you have like a say a negativity bias, um, which is which is. Basically, that we focus more on fears and and costs and potential dangers than we do possible rewards because there's a higher cost involved. And so if if you're going around and like looking at a plant and deciding whether to like eat uh, fruit off this plant, and you don't know, well, it might be like a nice little meal, and you get a little reward out of that, and that's a nice reward and everything but if it happens to be poisonous even if that's a very small chance if there's a chance that it could be deadly or impairing um you know there's going to be a bias against uh against trying that even even if it could really benefit you and and even if it's statistically more likely to benefit you um, from an objective standard you've still evolved this this negativity bias to be like better safe than sorry basically so there's just a million biases like this and social interactions and the way that we spend money and the way that we mate in in everything that we do all of the time and I find that endlessly um, fascinating okay so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna as we as we have said at the top end of this podcast I'm going to <coughs> go off and write about biases and research it 
uh, and well, I'll do it. That's impressive. And I'll do it with reference to psychedelics, because to be honest, we're both at this conference here. I mean, everywhere there's humans, there's biases, like you're you're saying, and they, I mean, I have them myself. Uh, it's probably a pretty pretty good place to start, actually. What biases have you noticed in yourself? Oh, I mean, endless, <laughs> all of the time. I mean, I think that in um, my learning about biases, I think these are things that are relevant to the human condition. We, we say things like, uh, uh, you know, stereotyping is bad. Or say, well, actually, stereotyping is what your brain is doing all of the time to make sense of what's around you. Like, I'm stereotyping like a, a, my idea of a door or a trash can or, or whatever. And, and uh, you know, pe people, people don't separate that from, like when the problem comes is when, when you like have like a, a then negative judgment and that leads to like discriminating against say a group of people unfairly. Um, and so those are, those are things, you know, being from a small conservative town in the Midwest, that's something I think about quite a bit when people are like, well, these people are just racist and you shouldn't be racist. And, and I agree at a certain level, but also there's just a lot more going on than that. And like there, there isn't a single race of humans that doesn't have an in-group, in out-group bias. There's not even, even within different religions within different areas of psychedelics. You know, you have your LSD people and your mushroom people. And, and you know, if, if the world had no other, if the world didn't have any political parties and, and or religions, it would be the LSD and the mushroom people going to war with one another. Uh, their wars would be much more uh, fantastic. <laughs> be, and, be spectacular and wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 this is you know this is implicit and in, in in throughout uh, the human condition. So I guess I guess the ones that uh, the ones specific like that I need to work on a lot. God, I I don't know. I just think like all of them are are so important to know about. What one is that. Um, uh, I, I think one of the biggest biases to be aware of is, is that um, is that we tend to uh, I, I mentioned Dunning Kruger, uh, which which is basically like the less you know about a subject, the more you think you are an expert on on the subject. So people with the least amount of knowledge speak with the most authority on a subject and then as they're learning when they start learning about it drops off then they like feel dumb and ignorant and like oh shit you know having to learn about how say plumbing works or something like that i'm now realizing i know nothing about this subject and then as you gain mastery over a subject you usually gain the understanding that this subject matter whether it's plumbing or chemistry or anything else is probably far more complex than you ever realized and and you never know as much uh, you know the more the kind of adage of the more you learn the more you think uh the, the more you realize how little you know um be, becomes true so um you know i think that's a 
uh, that's an important one that I uh, that I like to as a presenter, as someone who needs to go on stage and entertain people, someone who needs to go on a podcast and talk with, um, you know, some level of, like, confidence and, and authority just to, like, keep people's interest and keep people's I engaged, sometimes you can run away with that and, and, you know, to tap into that feeling of confidence, you can tell yourself stories of thinking that you're an expert on something that you aren't an expert on, and I think we all we all do this. But being mindful of these things can really help, you know, create just a little bit of space for choice and and um, in deciding, you know, how much you say no about something or your feelings toward like an outgroup member or something like that. It can it can give you a little bit of space to choose a different path and think about what you're doing. Do you know, <laughs> what's funny is, as you were then just joking about uh, the biases, and if we just had LSD and psilocybin, what sort of happened in my brain was, just like the caveman in me just goes, yeah, yeah, all, all that stuff, but are you, because so, I'm psilocybin, are you an LSD motherfucker? He's literally got a top I hat on. I need to know, who so am I talking get with? fuck out of my <laughs> Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm a psilocybin uh, guy. Okay, yeah, LSD, okay. who has You're the okay, time, yeah. these lazy yeah, fuckers yeah. that have Coming 14 hours to... <laughs> <laughs> taking all our... Uh, we're right there taking all our, our, uh, our cartoon cats <laughs> and... <laughs> earthy people, you know. Uh, I don't want these fucking yeah, phantom adorers. Yeah, I don't need the lasers yeah, and the. <laughs> you should all be shot. <laughs> and that's how it begins. <laughs> yeah. So if people in some dystopian future, like, why are we so persecuted? To be like, it's all started, and it's all Shane's fault. And so. I actually believe that's a lot of what's happening um, today. Is is yeah. that as uh, we evolved in a uh, in a climate that was riddled with with exceptionally serious life or death threats. Sure. I'm, I'm not saying that our threats today aren't serious, and there's certainly things like, uh, you know, climate change, nuclear war, something that, that could uh, completely annihilate uh, most, if not all of the uh, human population and much of the uh, uh, other, you know, devastate ecosystems and um, outside of just uh, humanity and everything. And there's plenty of, there's plenty of things to be concerned about but in our everyday life, you know, uh, we used to be like, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, were like a real actual concern and you had to like be on your toes. And, and there were, and the reason why we have outgroup biases is because the tribe next door might come in and invade you and kill you and take your women and that's a thing that might very well happen to you. And so, but what's interesting is, and this is um, for, um, for you, you can look up the hygiene hypothesis, which is, a, is essentially that there was a lot of lot more parasitic threats in our past environment than there are now. And so because our immune system evolved in an environment where there was a lot of threats now finds itself in one without threats, the threat detection mechanism is sensitizing itself to detect the same number of threats that it always has in our evolutionary history. And so now it's, it's getting more and more sensitive until it's going, ooh, dander, maybe that's a threat. Gluten, maybe that's a threat. And then it's causing these autoimmune diseases that are in themselves 
a, a, a threat. And we probably have psychological allergies like that happening because now you have people, if you're at this conference, you're gonna hear people like talking about like microaggressions and, and, and you know, it used to be real aggression. And, and this is not to say that these things aren't problems. We should always, always be trying to improve, be improving upon our, uh, our lives and our conditions without a doubt. But, but we should not have the same level of panic and fear response to, say, a microaggression as we do an actual aggression, an actual life or death scenario. And the brain just can't tell this apart. And, you know, everything's scalable. And, and, um, and so what happens when there's not an actual threat and you're focused on, like, um, not just like microaggression, but just you know, worried about your 401k or traffic or something like that, is you're chronically activating a stress res response system that is meant for acute dangers like running from a lion or, or, or hunting or something like that to mobilize energy to your muscles and, and shut down your sex drive and digestion and everything else. And now, now there's no off switch because there's no, because there was no salient, obvious threat, and there's just like a bunch of little threats swimming about in our minds all the time. We're just chronically activated, chronically stressed. We never go into this parasympathetic, down-regulated um, response, and, and you know, probably why meditation and yoga and stuff like that are starting to take off and become so popular in, in, in a response to this, but I don't think our hunter-gatherer ancestors would have much of a need for meditation or yoga or any, any such things. Tell me what the town where you grew up was, was like. Yeah, you know, it was like very white picket fence, even though there weren't actual white picket fences around. But the, uh, you know, it was very like leave it to Beaver kind of upbringing and um, small town feel and like wholesome folk and and um, you know quite quite a bit of farming and agriculture um, and and uh, certainly like you know not not a lot of uh uh not a lot of people that i knew immediately in the city were farmers but all of our grandparents were sort of a thing you know um and so so uh i um it was i was a first child it was my mom bless her as uh Still, still is a, a bit of a worry wart, and was you know fairly uh, um, controlling and over overbearing from from my perception as a child. As it you know wasn't it wasn't um, I'm for sure from any observer's point of view it wasn't that big a deal, and ultimately it, you know it wasn't, and it feels dumb to even complain about, but. But I definitely felt, uh, you know, very, very trapped by, um, you know, social conditions and expectations, like I'm sure many people do. And um, and I rebelled against everything. I had a real distrust for adults um, since uh, definitely it started around like age five or six, um, just like you know, asking questions about religion and like being told like not to ask. 
those questions and it being like really confusing and and like the rules uh, it just seemed like confusing like why were you know I, I was never I'm so lucky to have had wonderful parents that not only like didn't abuse me or anything like that um but they also you know did the very best that they could and no doubt tried very hard and worked very hard and meant and meant the best for me um and within that um you know it was it was a little confining for me and it and it led to me kind of like shutting down i I got in a lot of trouble i was like you know i was a kid immediately from first grade you know I, my name was always on the board. I was always being kept after class. I was always in detention all all through school. School was a prison to me, and I uh, absolutely hated it. Wanted to be a comedian since I was like nine or ten years old because it was the first job that I heard of that was like outside of any like normative um, things, and I just loved the idea of. I, I just went against the grain in every way that I that I could um, and still kind of do. Like females are probably the only like cliche thing that I do. Like I'm a straight, uh, <laughs> I'm a straight male. And like, that's the, that's like the one thing that I do. That's like, that's like normative, you know, you know, that's, that's like the, the and, and, uh, and everything else in my life, I, really push against, you know, I, I think it's what got me into, you know, psychedelics for sure. I, but I rebelled against every, like, you know, you uh, school, sports, church, any kind of group think stuff, any pop music, anything that was popular, I hated it, you know, and that, that was, that was me. And I was like an angsty little, little bastard. And mostly I, uh, mostly I just like shut down and was from an outsider perspective, uh, was viewed as a pretty shy, um, quiet, quiet kid. Hmm. Did you, the, that story of a comedian who's realizes that they're going to come up in a socially conservative town and then realizes this is like, I'm wondering, did that sort of give some kudos? Because even in those, re I came up in a similar town. The person who still got respect within that framework, outside of the you know normative experience, uh -huh. was the guy who could make people laugh. You know, on telly, yeah. there was the, the sort of BBC comedians of the day. <coughs> even in the most you know meat and two veg family, you know meat and two potatoes family, they still had a, a modicum of respect. But they sort of occupied a like they weren't part of the community but they were still respected by the community right, I'm just right, right. wondering did, like because you, you, you decided pretty pretty young Shane that you wanted to be a comedian like, there's a lot of kids who are just fucking angsting through school but that the penny doesn't drop that they're a comedian maybe till they go to the big city in their later teens or you you seem to be onto this track pretty early it, on yeah yeah I just always had it in my head I, I I had a friend that told me I should be a stand up comedian this is you know roughly the age that we were all like yeah, you know, they're bringing in like people for career days and stuff to talk about their jobs. And everyone's like, are you going to be an astronaut or a surgeon or a firefighter? You know, these are the three big dreams for a boy. And um, and I had uh, I just like nothing seemed appealing to me in in any way. And when I heard 
that there's a job where he could stand up on stage and make people laugh. I was like, well, that's what I want to do. And then, and then, you know, I started watching as much stand up as I could and, um, a lot of late night stuff and whatnot early on. And I think also influentially is a, is my, my dad was just someone who to this day, he works like 90 hours a week. He's just like the hardest working guy ever. And he's also really, really, really quiet. Um, and all, all the, all the guys on my dad's side of the family are super, super quiet. My, my grandpa was a world war two veteran who might've had some like PTSD or something like kind of shut down. And I think that kind of got passed on of like, you don't talk about your feelings or anything like that. And, and, you know, multi-generational, uh, PTSD sort of, um, and who knows if that's what it was, but, uh, you know, I would, I would watch, I, I remember being really young and watching, um, you know, the show Cheers or something like that, that my dad was watching and, uh, you know, seeing him laugh really hard. Like I would laugh along with the jokes, even though I didn't know I didn't get them or whatever. I just loved like seeing him laugh and, like bonding with my dad and all this. And, um, and so, you know, I, I do think there might've been, I've certainly had, I've certainly had trips, uh, in the past where it's like, Oh, you saw your dad enjoying this thing on TV and you wanting to be this thing that your dad enjoyed and paid attention to and, or you could make him feel good or whatever. And, um, and so there might have been some influence there for sure, you know. And uh, um, yeah, that's a, that's a whole rabbit hole <laughs> yes, I've been down on, like a MDMA. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. I had a, I had a beautiful. I was I was on MDMA um, one day, and and I remembered I could do this hand whistling. I can play anything. I'm like a world-class hand whistler. That's and um, and so... Yeah. I'll be challenging you. Uh, Don't so, you just get to blast past that? Like, uh, like, so, I'm, we're coming, I'm bookmarking that. We're coming so, back to that. Yeah, I can play anything. Yeah, um, okay. And so, doubling down. Uh, yeah. Uh, anything you want. If I can play it in my brain, <laughs> if I can play it in my brain, I can play it in my hands. So uh, so anyway, but I hadn't, I hadn't done this in years. Mm-hmm. And someone like asked me where I learned it, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, um, David Letterman used to, used to like, uh, he used to come out on stage mm-hmm. and and hand whistle." David Letterman's a famous. Mm-hmm. You yeah, got yeah, people yeah, know. Yeah, we, okay, we, we got him. Yeah. Okay, and then um, uh, he would he would come out and hand whistle, and it was his way of. He, he, flicking off the camera, he would move <laughs> his middle finger to play the notes, okay, and yeah. and um, you know, I was just like alone in my room, like dreaming of like being on a late night host or being on David Letterman one day or something like that. And I watched every single episode, I recorded with my VCR back then, and and uh, and practicing my hand whistling and. And and on MDMA, I just had this whole you know story of like oh, and then David Letterman was my dad's favorite 
person and and uh and that's why i came to that realization like oh i wanted to be the thing that was bringing my father joy yeah, yeah. and um and so you know those those are those nice psychedelic moments like like the ones that you opened to the show talking about like to someone that's never done a psychedelic it's just like oh yeah you know it makes sense you say like you learn you gotta like be yourself or or take better care of yourself or something it's like well anyone can tell you that but there's a difference between kind of intellectually knowing something and like feeling it in your core and and uh, and integrating it into your behaviors, and that's a big part of what the uh, psychedelic experience is to me. And and my my way of thinking about it is that I'm I'm kind of obsessed with the kind of the subconscious or unconscious, non-conscious, whatever it, the three other ways of uh, phrasing it, but. Um, these these inner worlds that, in my opinion, are feeding us our story of consciousness, um, rather than us accessing. You know, there's a zillion things that I could talk about right now, and uh, but like this is this conversation right now is particular to the environment. Whereas if I was sitting around Thanksgiving table with the family, we'd be having a completely different conversation and a zillion other things that we all know about and have these life histories and consciousness is just this like limiting little like here's what's necessary right now for you to know in this environment social environment or whatever and um and i think that there is a kind of separation in the language and the communication between the inner worlds that kind of contain everything not not just your history and, and past memories or representations of the memories anyway but also like imagined ideas of future scenarios and how past things could have gone differently and so not only is our every experience and every thought you've ever had like kind of maybe in in there somewhere but every possibility um that you've come up with is as well and you just don't have access to it and you go to your brain, you go like, I want to exercise, I should exercise. And then your inner worlds are in this environment that evolved in a place where you never, our ancestors never had to, never had to go and get on a treadmill or something like that. They naturally had all of their exercise in their, in their daily lives. The idea of like Running. lifting weights would seem completely in, insane to them. And what is CrossFit? It, it's so, it would be so bonkers. Yeah. I mean, hunter-gatherers are in much better shape than most CrossFitters even, even and they've, they've never like they gone to a workout. A too much. Yeah, they're just moving. And, and so... You know the inner world's not computing that, and it's giving you this like it's motivating you through feelings and emotions, which you're interpreting as like oh, I'd rather have beer instead, or like oh, I feel like laying around today, or something like that. Which, which in a in a past environment, it makes sense to lay around as often as possible, or mm -hmm. to like suck up every good you know sugar yeah. alcohol Fruit tree's or gonna fun get absolutely uh, drained you know yeah. the same way the bar does nowadays but. yeah so so i think that the psychedelic experience opens up a communication yeah. between your inner world and your conscious experience to kind of be like 
get it to kind of get everyone on the same page yeah. a little bit and and so that's why but you tell people about you know what you because you you have a mushroom trip or dmt and i saw like i saw the spirit and i did this and that and people are like well what did you learn and everything that you learned sounds like a joke because it's already like embroidered on your mom's decorative <laughs> pillow like home is where the heart is <laughs> holy shit oh my god don't sweat the small stuff i get it now you know and and and, and those are like what the takeaway messages are is like shit that we all already kind of knew on some like intellectual level and we're just kind of ignoring yeah. didn't feel like doing yeah. those those sort of distillations um so, yeah, like you say, they're so hard to relay. I, I almost think you have to show them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if someone comes away saying, well, I just realized that, you know, it's my relationship with my kids is precious. you got to rock up to their, mili- uh, you know, baseball games. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear it. They just want. So I think it's totally understandable. And I think it's like a type of empiricism. All the other people out there, they don't know jack shit about psychedelics that are still deeply uh, skeptical, which is a scientific view, you know, the way we all should be anyway, are going, yeah, prove it. So those sort of like little, um, you know, what is it uh, Michael Pollan says? He calls them like hallmark card moments, you know. Yeah. You just, the thing is, you get given them and they're usually quite succinct. They're usually quite on the nose. And then integration will be important to distill those, but I think what's going to be super interesting in the future when we get to psych- proper psychedelic psychotherapy is how people start to reliably you know, live those realizations. Because what I've realized is you can have those insights that you can viscerally understand them, but still some days I don't want to live them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, and I was a bit naive to think, oh, well, when, you know, when I've got the message, I'll, I'll, I'll put down the phone. No one said that then it's easy to then go off and do the thing. So I'm wondering, like, have you any realizations that you've made, maybe to speak, you know, quite explicit about them? And what ones have stuck behaviorally for you, you know, changes that you've come on? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I had one that was, that was like, yeah, I was, so, so for the listeners, I, I, I'm a, been a stand-up comedian for 15 years and then I've, I've had a science podcast for five years and um at right around that a uh, few around the same time i so it, probably seven years ago i started integrating some science into my stand-up and putting together like science themed stand-up solo shows and i was working on psychedelics as one of the themes of, Just of a show one or did you yeah i mean i always thought that i'd do a show about psychedelics um eventually and um uh and and you know it was an interest of mine but it wasn't any more interesting to me to talk about than like say mating behavior which i made a special about and and um the negativity bias that we talked about i kind of made an album about that basically called my big break and and then i i put together this show about i I was kind of toying with the idea of putting together this show about psychedelics i i wasn't a part of any psychedelic communities i didn't know there was such a thing at the time and and so and i didn't know if there's a market for it but i was on mushrooms one time 
and and it seemed outside because I'd done a couple, you know, I'd do like a couple minutes of psychedelic material here and there and regular stand-up sets in, you know, and I could maybe get away with five minutes or something like that, but then these stupid drunk like bachelor and bachelorette parties and like people celebrating their birthdays and trying to get as hammered as possible be like, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? And, and, uh, and it's, um, you know, so, so was it at the time, I didn't know that it was a possibility to do a, a show about psychedelics. Like how would I pull that off? And I had a really intense mushroom trip and, and, um, also relevant, I had been smoking DMT um, somewhat regularly around this time. And so and once I started smoking DMT, it also changed my mushroom trips. So they became a little bit more of like DMT visuals sometimes at certain moments. I only say that for the context of this because I'm going to be talking about this like very vivid vivi visualization that I that I had that you, know, you wouldn't normally get like something as vivid on, on just like a regular old mushroom trip. But I also had a lot of mushrooms. And I thought of this joke um, and uh, about like kind of reframing the, um, the psychedelic experience and how, how all of this life is a trip and everything's trippy. We're just kind of complacent with it. And I thought of a way of phrasing that in a joke form because I was actually, actually trying to like talk myself down because I was having this intense experience. And when I thought of this joke, which I now like close my shows with, I, I started cracking up and, and, uh, and then I had this vision of getting like this, because uh, I was like, this is gonna be my big closer. This is how I'm gonna, uh, you know, says everything I wanna say. And, and I had this vision of all of these people, me performing this, and all these people giving me this wild standing ovation for this joke that I, that I just thought of. And at first I was like, oh, oh, oh so, so they were all like green and matrixy. Um, and I like looked a little closer at them and I was like, who are these people? And they were all me. Every one of them was me. And I was at first, I was like, "What's that mean? I'm a narcissist or <laughs> yeah. something, you know? Or I'm full yeah. of myself, sure. or you know?" And then after a while, uh, you know, the kind of takeaway message that I had with it. And again, this is like something that you know your grandma might tell you when she's giving a pep talk, or you could read in any self-help book or whatever. But the takeaway was that like. I, I realized that, you know, in my comedy career, I had been going around performing like, you know, shitty comedy clubs to like a bunch of drunk audiences like, all right, what kind of dick jokes do you guys want to <laughs> hear about like pandering to the crowd so much to try to get a laugh to validate myself and really what I've been after was validation for me you know it was all ultimately for me and once I saw that I was like oh so why not perform if I'm just performing for myself anyway then perform the material that you think is good and you think is funny and if people don't like it fuck it So, Alan. Yes. Nice, nice to meet you. Likewise. <laughs> thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Spending time at the conference. Yeah. Um, well, um, me and Shane were just. He was in the middle of telling about. Um, we've sort of been going through a little bit about how he came to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the reason I wanted to have both you guys on was I think that this isn't to blow I'm smoke. I'm sort of the redose at this point. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the booster <laughs> exactly. dose. Yeah. Shane, so is pl- Shane is plateaued yeah, and now, he now you're adding. Yeah, exactly. We're just... Um, uh, he was explaining kilograms of Strauss, more than 100 kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> he was explaining how he started, you know, regularly smoking DMT, and then he found the visuals were were more profound when he took uh, psilocybin. So I think you've just been the second dose of psilocybin. Right. <laughs> just saying, you've just we've just redosed. I'm the, uh, I'm <laughs> the yeah, plateaued. I'm lost, and now we're doing a booster so of Strauss. So um, I I, I fucking crushed it. By the way, did I he tell you how good my interview was about, yeah. doing? Oh he, he my god! Said, he actually said we don't even he, want to talk to Adam anymore. He was like, yeah, he's like. This he is was podcasts are done now. He, he was I would I would stop to like let him in or whatever. He'd be like, just keep going. You gave him a plus You're four. blowing <laughs> my fucking mind right now. I can't I can't tell you how many before you got here, how many times there were people coming in here because they heard us talking. They're like Holy what is this? What's going on? And you came in here a nervous <laughs> wreck and kind of like I have some bad news, Shane. Spoiled. There's, there's, there's no one here with us. This is the PMT vision you're having. We're oh just sitting god. in the flat right now. Oh god, <laughs> this is real. It's definitely real. This, no, seriously though, guys, this this is this is real though, right? It's real. Yeah. If if you want it I'm to be ta- real, it can be it can be real. No, can, no, yeah, we're what, talking what into real? microphones right now. Sure. Yeah, no, there's people <laughs> listening to right. us right now. Other people exist. We're not just in a yeah. solipsistic uh, vacuum. Yeah, I'm not I'm not <laughs> trapped in a hologram and everything's no, a metaphor and the mimes shame. have been trying to warn me that but they can't talk. Uh, that's not at all what's no, going defi- on. Definitely not. I don't know why you've been saying that. That's crazy talk. <laughs> my da- I asked my. You, have you guys seen the movie Inception? You know the one about the I dream or the dream? It, oh I my God! I just told Adam about an Inception dream that I had. Oh right, that's right. Yeah, I know enough about the premise too. <laughs> Shane and I share I our dream dr- journals. I it's had a dream within a dream. Oh, could tell me about that. that I, I, it's pretty uh, all Let right. the fireworks recommence. <laughs> <laughs> you set a pretty high bar. Let's see what you can I, do. I, I, Adam's already. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I had I had a lucid dream. I knew I was dreaming. I, I and I was on LSD in this dream, and I saw this glimmer around these edges. I was making my documentary at the time. I was like, oh, I got to remember this glimmering around these edges to represent this effect in the documentary when we do the LSD segment. And then, and then I woke up from that into another lucid dream. And my my girlfriend at the time and her friend, who were both sharing dreams. I was holding this orb of this of this light, and I was like, "I gotta remember this for the documentary." How do you girls remember your dreams? And they're just like, "Well, you just sit on it." And I was like, "What?" And they're like, "If you want to remember a dream, just sit on it. Just put it in your butt." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and finally, I was like, "Okay," and I sat on this glowing LSD orb. And it went up my butt, and then I woke up and remembered every detail of that dream. I'll so. just point out, Shane, Shane shared the story with me the first morning we woke up together in our shared flat, which caused some, some consternation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just put in your butt, Adam. What are you, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you so uptight <laughs> about? If you want to remember <laughs> a dream, put it in your butt. Uh, uh, the, the, the That's a new T-shirt, I think. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, 
That and the moral of the story is you'll never forget anything that goes in your <laughs> butt. I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward. It's like, so uh, that effect in the document. I forgot to put that in. I forgot to email them. Uh, oh, see, it, it went in. So <laughs> actually, you, we have empirical proof. <laughs> yeah, We've had the <laughs> hypothesis. The yeah, it's in the documentary. Yeah, uh, I'm never going to. It's just going to be way, way harder. To it's just going to be way harder to master. Through to that my <laughs> dream anus into this reality. I'm totally going to masturbate to that documentary. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't have anyway. But yeah, but it's just, it's just special. It just makes boy. it special. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well before I forget, yes. I'm just making work for myself. <laughs> yeah, which is really stupid, <coughs> but I've decided now to make this little <laughs> rinky-dink podcast split down the middle. On one side, I just chat to people normally, like a normal human yeah. being, and then they, we just all agree on the one area where we're pretending to know. And people go, "Yeah, yeah, the default mode network." And I'm like, "You don't fucking know what that means." Right. So there's something that you're too fucking lazy to properly learn about. And then shithead here will go off and write a blog about it, and then you can just read it and listen to it, and then I'll do hard work. But I don't want it to be part of oh the podcast because cool. I'm I'm so you're making I'm and then I'm accountable to you because, and I'll put it in a jade egg and just stick it just up my ass. And then so I right now, so you're what you have to think of yeah. some of a subject that you wish you knew it's more about. Especially for Shane, you. this is easy. It's <laughs> comedy. <laughs> That's solid joke and I don't find myself <laughs> saying that about Adam's work very often. At least you called it work. Uh, so so my, mine, <laughs> was, yeah. mine was cognitive biases. Yeah. I want to know more about cognitive bias. Yeah. What's, what's yours? One. So what, what do I want to know more about? That um, you're too lazy to research and also that you've been You've occasionally said in the past you pretended like you'd sort of go. I wish there was a fucking podcast I could go and listen to this because I don't know what I'm talking about, and I wish somebody, n- just some moron, would go and Wikipedia it and say it. Let so me I can think about that. I mean okay. There's certainly no shortage of stuff I've talked shit about that. Uh, that you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So it's we'll just call it we'll just call it the, the moron club. So it's all the phrases that everyone's saying that they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And then we can just, we're going to build up a big moron library. So everything that I put, I mean, I've got heaps of them. <coughs> I'm going to name one right off the bat. Let me see. Rebus? You've heard this relaxing. I have no idea what that is. Okay, you want to know what Rebus is? Is, yes. is that one? Okay. Talk to me. That's so, so much. So you can add another one, but that'll be mine. So we've got negative oh, you're biases. Now. You're going to research it and then. Yeah, yeah, because right, I don't right. know any, I don't yeah. know enough about it. So then I'll go off and do my hard work and Wait, actually make a little blog. What's the premise of Rebus? <laughs> Well, this is where people okay. Um, so my understanding is that it's the relaxed beliefs under psychedelics model, which is a synthesis of free energy principle. And um, my eyes are just glazing over with my own. Yeah, I don't know what free energy, energy principle. Is exactly, I don't know what he does. Yeah. Well, th- people, there's just this schism of people that are super smart that are trying to disseminate the information amongst all of us regular to above intelligent, average intelligence people. And I think it's really important to bridge that gap. So hmm. I, I'm going to hold that thought, and you're going to hear a blogcast that I've figured it out. I'm trying to explain it in a way that I can understand. This is, this is you put a lot yeah. of unnecessary work no, on yourself but, with but this No, but it's not. This is the thing, because I was just I was saying, um, Adam, that <coughs> I've had two 
psilocybin trips. Never done anything before that. Yeah. Real, just straight down the middle guy, you know, golf dinner parties, that sort of person. One of them was you need to experience joy. And that came back in the second one because it was like, ding dong, shithead, you haven't right. been doing that enough. Do you know what I mean? You think like, and then the second one was just about hard work. And it was like, if you work hard, not so much good things will happen, but you won't have this out where you're like, oh, n- and that didn't happen because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm-hmm. and I see a big comedy fan. There's yeah. people that are like, oh, well, I, I did my show at Edinburgh. Nobody laughed. Nobody got my jokes. And I'm like, no, you didn't work hard enough. Please don't it. do impersonations of Shane. It's <laughs> <laughs> very disrespectful. <laughs> All right, that's the last one. I'm, mm. uh, I'm really offended. That was my uh, pretty on-the-nose Edinburgh accent, <laughs> and he's from Wisconsin, so thanks very much. Yeah, you've you're managed to offend us both. No, no, I'm saying oh, oh, I was right. doing. I wasn't doing his accent, right. but you managed to offend us both in one so right, touche okay. <laughs> <laughs> rolling late uh, I piss everyone off <laughs> drop the mic and walk out you can't think of a thing that you want to know more well, about no, it's not, how about a, a lot language that, I know that you want to learn but in terms of things that I've talked shit about and psychedelics like I know about and, and obviously mm. keep it in psychedelics because there certainly is no shortage I'm keep it wrong. in psychedelics uh, yeah Oh, I didn't know that. Well, then mine was just a broad, yeah, yeah. Things within psychedelics that I wish I knew more about, it would be just like the MRI, um, some some of uh, just like what uh, the most modern MRI uh, research, What what's being done with MRIs and any kind of trips, ketamine, DMT, mushrooms, So like the, the, the uh, a sort of overview of the most up-to-date imaging yeah. fMRI work with psychedelics. Yeah. Just some little ditty yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. I'm Get interested on in it. something, but I, there's no research on this, so it's g- you're not going to be able to find anything. But the, but yeah, but how, how the interaction, I have personal interest in this, between SSRIs and psychedelics. I've been off SSRIs now for 12 years, yet I still require massive doses of psychedelics to have trips and I, and I don't get any visuals. So I guess I'm more throwing that out there because I asked this question in one of the lectures yesterday of Rosalind Watts and her team, like how are you taking account when you're doing depression research of the fact that a lot of these people have been on SSRIs and she, cor- she kind of punted it. She said, well, I can't disclose that because we have to maintain the double blind, which implies to me that a large number of those people are on SSRIs in their studies. Anyway, this is fascinating to me because I think I'm going a little off the rails here, but well, I think I can. Conf- so, if you look at the research, right, the two things that have been the most studies in psychedelics are, if we consider MDMA a psychedelic, MDMA for PTSD, and psilocybin for depression. And there's a big spread in the results. MDMA for PTSD, roughly two thirds of people no longer qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. They're effectively cured. And that effect actually strengthens over time. So if you follow them six months and then a year later, they're better a year later. Whereas depression, what we're finding is people are not, there's a reduction in symptoms, sometimes a massive reduction in symptoms, but the symptoms generally come back. And I wonder if that's a factor or a result of the fact that people with PTSD generally aren't on SSRIs. Some of them are whereas people with depression generally are on SSRIs, and it's well known now that when you're on SSRIs, some people can still trip. Many people have can trip, but it's attenuated, and some people, and I was in this camp when I was on SSRIs, I couldn't trip at all. So I, I, f- I feel like that is an area that really, I think, needs to be looked at. If we're, 
because I think that's going to sort of conflate a lot of the results we're seeing. I um, I sometimes help facilitate uh, mushroom retreats in Jamaica, um, as myco meditations uh, group, and so you can come down and trip with me when we're fifteen people together. A lot of times it's people's like first time or whatever, and the, uh, in in my you know even even being into psychedelics like my big fear with the partnership was that someone would have like you know some bad manic episode or something like that and it's like my name's attached to this thing and is it really worth it and blah blah, mm. blah you know for uh, everything else that I'm uh, that I'm doing in life and and um, could ruin my career or this and that um, but Nothing like that in my experience of going down there has ever happened. The most heartbreaking thing that happens is nothing. And it's always because someone's on an SSRI and people are taking like 15 fucking grams of mushrooms. To, huh. And nothing's yeah. happening because yeah. it's, it's three trips and you're escalating it. And so like, the, you know, the first one you don't get, well, okay, let's really go for it. Holy shit. Nothing. All oh, right. Man. Let's throw 15 fucking <laughs> grams at it. And to, to like feel like a little buzz off of 15 grams of mushrooms, like something is fucking wrong with your brain. That, um, I, I wonder, and I was chatting to some clinical psychologists about this last night at the bar after the conference. There's probably going to be a period when when this starts to roll out, so psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, psilocybin for depression, and they're going to start eating into the problem where there's people who have been on SSRIs for a very long time. The effects of SSRIs are massively attenuating the tripping experience, which which you're reporting, Shane. You know, at the sort of uh, rehab or the at the actual center level where people are going to trip. So. There's going to have to be this little lag time when people are ostensibly off SSRIs, and it's not really in there affecting their serotonergic system in any noticeable way before they trip. That month, that whatever long period, that discrete amount of time is super dangerous from a suicide perspective. So I'm a little bit mm-hmm. concerned, and I'm trying to almost. I don't obviously want it to happen, but you have to expect these inevitabilities. I think that s- there will be, unfortunately, some reports of people who, once it's rolled out, who pass away. <laughs> and if the new paper want to spin it a certain way, they can go, they were taken off their medication that was, had been working for a long time, and they just need to find a couple of doctors that are like, this shouldn't have happened, and they died, and they were just two weeks away from, you, you know, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, a, true. that's a PR but risk that I'm worried about. But I will yeah. say, the, the risk, elevated risk of suicide with SSRIs, it's really the withdrawal period. Sure. Because you have, as I've learned firsthand, it's pretty nasty effects yeah, yeah. when you're withdrawing. So but that's what he's saying. Well, yeah. no, but what, I, what I'm saying is that c- this can be managed if you withdraw very, very slowly. The way I eventually got FS yeah. off SSRIs after trying and failing multiple times was I did a six-month withdrawal schedule. However, having said that, there will be impatient people who are like, fuck it, I'm just going to stop cold turkey. Yeah. And yeah. yeah and I think that's then an people are like, hey, I'm going to go on fun, fun mushroom trip with Shane Moss. <laughs> right. Quick, I better get off my SSRIs. <laughs> we'll, we'll put all the links. Yeah. <laughs> but, we sh- I mean, joking aside, that yeah. is super important. No, if anyone's going, I'm just going to go. something co- I never even thought about. Cold turkey off the SSRIs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Book me on a flight to a Jamaica. A lot of people are going to do that. That's And that's, but, yeah. As you, we can't. There's going to be p- people that are going to do that 
unsafely. That does not mean the protocols or the or the substances yeah, themselves yeah. are necessarily unsafe. It's just I mean I, I do legislate for that. I think that uh, and and we don't know this, but I would like to see I would like to see studies uh, for psychedelic use for getting off of SSRIs eventually. Because I, I think if you I think if you did. It, because for some people on SSRIs, psilocybin still works. Yeah. And for those people that it doesn't work, it will eventually work. Like if you keep on, like if you keep on, like giving a mushroom. If you're on SSRIs, like as you're saying, like there's a there's a dose level, thirty grams or fifty yeah, grams. Yeah. It will. It will. Have you, have you found people on these retreats who, in first time, it doesn't work. Second time, it, and then they bump it up enough, and you actually yeah. You have and then there's people that that like. Hmm. Th there, there's also people that had nothing kind of quote unquote nothing happen or not what they were hoping for or expecting you know happen um like in feeling the trips itself and then afterwards after the retreat just felt like a different person or felt better yeah and then went back to another retreat um uh you know, and uh and then had like actual trips so i'm thinking of a term now you could have a pre-treat you know it's not mm -hmm. the retreat it's the pre-treat before so it's like <coughs> we need to get you from 40 milligrams of escitalopram down to 10 or 5 or whatever and we're going to do it through exercise and we're going to do it through mm -hmm. meditation all these things we're going to put you in the ballpark so that you can start to have psychedelic safe psychedelic trips that aren't massively attenuated by this medication you've been on for you know decades oh i just remembered too we were before you got yeah. here we were talking about the different like in group and out group biases uh, and ask him is he an lsd or something well <laughs> i already know the answer yeah. so we were talking about like the lsd and the mushroom people <laughs> yeah and obviously putting a show together called the mushroom cure you're a mushroom i'm cure. not actually we haven't had this what? conversation we've never discussed Are this you yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'll say this, and I, I may get burned at the psychedelic stake for this. I am, I have great respect for mushrooms, but I do not. Sounds like a politician, doesn't he? I just do not, exactly. I know mushrooms, mushrooms are my friend. Son, this <laughs> son of a bitch. I, I do not generally enjoy mushrooms, and I use that word, I know it's not necessarily about enjoyment. Um, yeah, mushrooms are, for me, um, not, they seem to be less helpful and certainly much less enjoyable than LSD now at this point in my life. There was a point, to me, a lot of the value of psych, so because I was on SSRIs at such high dose levels for so long, I have a weird response or unusual response to psychedelics in general. No visuals on anything. For me, the, there have been two main values, I would say, more than two, but one of them is just having overpowering, terrifying trips and learning to surrender to them. Because surrender, acceptance is, you know, more and more that's appreciated as a key mediator of outcomes in quote unquote mental illness. I don't love the term mental illness, but let's use that for convenience. People with depression, people with OCD, people with addiction, to the extent that they're willing and able to accept their emotions, their physical sensations, they can find freedom. And I understood this intellectually before psychedelics because I'd seen a lot of gifted therapists but it was only on psychedelics, including especially mushrooms, where I had these experiences where, holy fuck, shit is going off the rails. I can't control it. I'm terrified. But there's something about being in that vulnerable, open state where the illusion that you can somehow control it by holding on tighter is stripped away. 
And so once I'd had that experience of surrendering to the fear on psychedelics and finding that there was something else on the other side, I was gradually able to do that when I wasn't tripping. So mushrooms were valuable more than LSD in that regard because I've never had a horrifying trip on LSD. I've had horrifying moments, but, but mushrooms, I've had some very rocky journeys that one of which I talk about on my show, you know, led me to call 911 on myself. So, <laughs> not because I wanted I the cops to come to my house, but because I had burning existential questions and no one else was picking up their phone. I'd thrown my cell phone in the woods. I didn't remember phone numbers. Um, so, in that <laughs> regard, <laughs> I tried zero. I, I tried 411. No one picked up. I called 911 and they will pick up. So mushrooms were. What were the what questions? did they say? What did they? What were your questions? And my, what were the answers? My then? first question, because there's a sure. transcript of this, was um, you know they asked me <laughs> my, the nature of my emergency, and my first question is, "Are you God?" <laughs> this was such a. It's an embarrassing cliche trip in so many ways. I I don't remember a lot of it. It was an amnesiac trip because I took a massive dose of penis envy mushrooms. I made a rookie mistake. I thought because they looked. I'd seen penis envies online, and they, you know, they look like these impressively phallic things. The mushrooms that actually I got were like these twisted, shriveled, mottled, small. So I was like, "Oh, it's they the look crappy." It's the motion in the ocean, buddy. <laughs> right? it's, Mine came it's, in the post just fine. <laughs> I was like, well, "Yeah, I learned that size isn't everything." So. Uh, so so mushrooms to to get back to the question mushrooms I, I've mushrooms have not given me so much profound I mean that's an arrogant term who's to say what profound useful insights uh, as much as I've had these experiences of of terror that I've learned to surrender to and secondarily the other main way psychedelics work for me now it's really a physical experience with OCD and I'd say most forms of addiction all forms of addiction and mental illness. It's a, a mind thing, you know, whether or not you conflate the, or, or, or equate the brain with the mind, you know, uh, the mind itself, it's a, it's a very up here state that you kind of get yourself worked into. And I was very disconnected from my body. You know, no one once said to me, and I saw so many therapists my entire life, no one once said to me, well, what are you feeling in your body right now? Not once. And psychedelics, especially ayahuasca in this regard, but mushrooms too, really have connected to me, my, my body in a concrete way. You know, I don't mean metaphorically. I mean, there's just more of my attention is on my body. I'm still mostly in my head most of the time, but there's a big increase in body awareness. And whatever's going on in my head when I'm freaking out, I've learned that I can slow down and connect to my body and, and ground myself that way. This is uh, so just uh, all the listeners is just like Adam and I have been uh, have been staying in in uh, a flat together for the week. We were both brought in here to do this comedy show. And I, and I just like the impression that like listeners are like picturing what our lives are like for this week. Adam's just talking about his body. I'm talking about putting dreams your in ass. your butt. <laughs> that's pretty accurate. That's pretty <laughs> I think I think that's pretty much I think that's pretty much some sums it up. Yeah, I'll be putting the posts up as well, like pictures up as well. <laughs> uh, was, uh, you got to put a little. You got to put a little glimmer on the on the, the orbs, the, the glowing yeah, orbs, the glowing orb.
one, one question I want to ask you guys about is you, you, you came here, you played. Um, a co- this is a, this is something which is is pretty hot hot button topic right now. Two comedians, internationally known, playing college campuses, and especially to a crowd that is okay. It's it's we're all in this together, but it. I mean, if we took a cup a bit of a cross sample of uh, opinions about all the hot top and hot button button topics in America, we're not going to get a cross cross section. I'm just seeing like dropping like flies, comedians not playing college campuses. You guys are in an unusual position. Dro- dropping like flies like for just like saying, you know, Jerry Seinfeld won't play college campuses. I don't think Chris oh, Rock does. They're right. They don't want to be kind of like they're, the, they're, they're, the they're politically correct. Sure, audience. they're, they're afraid mean, of yeah. getting just like woked out of the room. Yeah, that's a great phrase. How have you guys found it up there? Well, I mean, I do find like the waves of adoration a little overwhelming that's uh, a special type of cultishness but isn't it <laughs> um I, no i mean f- for me all all that stuff is a little overblown and and i've you know i i've been um affected by it in very like small ways of just like i have a podcast talking about science stuff mm-hmm. and evolutionary psychology and biology is a big thing and and within that, we sometimes talk about the evolutionary and biological underpinnings of, say, gender differences. <laughs> and this is a very controversial... What gender differences, Shane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, so you know, and, and it's funny when, like, you know, some psychedelic guy with a science podcast isn't liberal enough for you. <laughs> right. but, but, um, but, you know, so it can be irritating. But, I mean, I think that there's always... If there wasn't like boundaries, if there what wasn't buttons to push and things like that, what in the world would we do with ourselves? Uh, a lot of times, I mean, I I think that's part of what we're playing with is the constraints and and the taboos. So there needs to be those taboos there to be played with. So I don't view it as as much of a concern as just like an absolute uh, reality and almost necessity of, of the job. Not that everything needs to be like pushing people's buttons or whatever, but it's kind of um, inherent within carefully. You can do it in a way that is careful, but you can still be irreverent and you can be carefully irreverent, I think. But I also think there's something about not being careful up there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the, the greatest joy for me and I think for the audience is when you're just, you know, you're in the moment, you're not really thinking about, Oh, how is the audience going to necessarily receive this? And I mean, I've I've been surprised how welcoming people have been of psychedelic content on college campuses and off. But even college campuses, I remember the first time I did the mushroom cure on a college campus. It was it was University of Florida, which is in Gainesville, Florida, which is sort of this blue island in a red sea. It's a college town there, but a, a very conservative part of Florida. And I was first of all, I was kind of shocked that they asked me to do the show there. Um, you know, it was the first time a, a major university had asked me to do this show that, I don't even want to say the show condones psychedelic use. I, I don't really take a position, but I, I talk very openly and specifically about my own psychedelic use and, and, and how it's benefited me. And I kind of expected there to be some pushback, 
but there, there really wasn't. I think part of it is a self-selecting audience, right? The people who, who reflexively hate psychedelics and are anti-drug are not going to buy a ticket to come to my show or to Shane's show. So I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is it reflects the fact that even people who are conservative in other ways, and I'm seeing this more and more, I don't know if you are, but people who are politically conservative, Trump supporters, literally, I, I've met who are, oh yeah, absolutely, psychedelics should be used at least for medical use. And I think that reflects a growing recognition that the traditional ways of treating you know, mental illness, addiction, just don't work well for many, many people. So even if you love Trump and you love guns, you, know, you may have an aunt who spent half her life in a mental hospital and you want her to get well. So I feel like, and it's very encouraging, that this issue is, sure, it's more of a liberal issue, but starting to cut across ideological divides and even people who are you know, religious and conservative um, have the attitude of, well, we at least need to look into this stuff more. There's a psychedelic for everybody. <laughs> you, you, want, you, want, uh, you want God? There's a psychedelic for that. You want to get over your PTSD? All right. You want to get better at your building apps? No problem. There, <laughs> this is a great ad campaign. There's something, there's something for you. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely think, to Adam's point, there's... There's certainly a lot of um, libertarians yeah. out there that would obviously be uh, have to be for you know decriminalization and stuff and 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 then there's a there's a lot of the, those people on on the right that would that would classically be maybe mistaken for further to the right or, or conservative or whatever that would that would very much be a, against the war on but drugs. The, the the I suppose my question is when these people rock up. Because there's going to be more people coming into this world yeah. as we globalize that are more interested in square dances than s uh, drum circles. Mm -hmm. You know, they're coming. <laughs> right. That's those yeah. those people are they are they welcome? That's my about and and also the libertarian streak in me. And I'm sure if you guys are comedians, you know that that's something which all comedians seem to have is I don't like dogma. I yeah. don't like dogma on the left. I yeah. don't like dogma on the right. And anytime I see something crystallizing into dogma it doesn't matter if it's fucking the nra or somebody talking about climate control i'm like I, I mean somebody's got to jump off the other way just so that we stay on some sort of even keel i don't know yeah and yeah yeah i, th I think uh i think so i mean i think it's a big part of what joe rogan is doing is like appealing to a bunch of like yeah meatheads, meatheads <laughs> that yeah. otherwise wouldn't be into this stuff at all but and 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 you know there there's a bar for everybody you know you you want to get some alcohol well what do you you want a dive bar you want some ritzy place you, you know and maybe that's what psychedelics will will uh, look like one day uh as well we, we are those seeing and it, and it is discomforting to me the emergence of, I'd say, a bit of a psychedelic orthodoxy. Um, and I mean, I remember I heard, not to single someone out, but I think it was Joe Rogan's podcast, and it was, I think it was Graham Hancock. And he was talking about his, he'd only had two LSD trips, and they were powerful. And they were one both. One of your guys. Right. <laughs> an LSD guy. Yes, guys. Yes, yeah. They were, well, now he's an ayahuasca guy, but he had, maybe, it was, maybe it was only one, but it was basically this uncontrolled, I think he was in college, you know, in, in London somewhere, and it was this, you know, challenging, but ultimately, wonderful experience and then at the end of recounting this experience he said something like however i don't think that's the way we should do psychedelics it should be done you know with a shaman and all of this stuff and what the fuck like this yeah. and even to ayahuasca i i um you know i've been i've only done ayahuasca in a ceremonial session um you know with a shaman and, and all of that but i feel like no there's i mean I, that's just been the way that i've found it but 
this idea that you have to do something in a certain context and otherwise it's, I'll use the word sacrilegious, you know, you're going against, is, I think is sort of antithetical to the whole idea of psychedelics, which is in some way that, you know, we're creating and shaping our own reality. No one knows what the fuck is going on ever. Sure, there are best practices that may apply to most people some yeah. of the time, but we're here at breaking convention, and there's so many <laughs> there's people going like, "We need to have these very strict rituals," and then the whole thing of like, "Oh, now you're appropriating," the, uh, it, right? Like, that drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. What's that even mean? You mean Why influencing not learn each other? Did yeah, you, uh, uh, like, like no one's like, "Oh, you're a comedian." What what comedians did you appropriate <laughs> um, coming up? It's they just better the, be like, comedians. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like. if you and like that whole cultural appropriation thing, it's like I I w- I wonder. It says a lot about if you are shouting that you don't want people to culturally appropriate, you're actually not backing up your own culture. Because maybe being Irish, we knew we're just this little rock on the edge of the Atlantic. It's like drink Guinness and listen to you too, or we're fucked. You know, <laughs> we needed people to, to pick up our mantle, and I very much welcome when I, I love it whenever I see someone from a different culture do something with Irish things because they do it in a way that it would never occur to me to do. And similarly, if somebody takes yeah, another you're person, appreciating things, appreciating it, and it's, evo- it's just totally yeah. evolutionary. I, I will say though, to 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 <laughs> to go against this a little bit, I can understand people developing, you know, kind of this reflexive cultural appropriation cry in response to the fact that there's been a lot of non-cultural material appropriation of human beings from Africa. Sure, sure. So I, I can see it as a somewhat understandable reaction to, oh, no, you're not going to pull this shit again on us. Uh-huh. At the same time, I think, um, yeah, we're all in this together, man. And yeah. if uh, I've gotten a lot of benefit from working with Shipibo shamans, yeah. um, would I have gotten as much benefit working with a white shaman? Maybe. I don't know. But uh, the Icaros have been a part of my experience and a part of my healing process. And, um, you know, I think, it, yeah, to the extent that we can help each other it, with what we've figured out, different cultures, I, I, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where there is you can't just throw away all of the the emotional baggage with it willy-nilly because that's super disrespectful but um that's where i think comedians are super important because we all like lose the run of ourselves a bit so there's going to be people who are trying to everyone's in this sort of i mean listen you don't need to tell me how important i am i mean (laughs) he's he's wearing a top hat (laughs) (laughs) shane is wearing a top hat Listen, gents, um, I'm conscious of your time because I know you've got to be elsewhere. I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah. I'm planning on heading over to the States in a few months to a few conferences there. So oh, cool. love to Are you going to be at Horizons? I'm going to be at Horizons. You I be should be. Are you cool. I, I, I don't. I, I just found out I'll be in New York then, so uh, probably. Are you going to be at the Pittsburgh Soap Conference, per chance? No. I don't no. know if I will. All right. Well, yeah, let's, let's keep in touch. Cool. That sounds good. I don't know what that is, yeah. but is it a conference about it's soap? Or yeah, Shane and I did it last year. It was SOAP is an acronym, Sleeping Octopus Assembly on Psychedelics. It's okay. um, Yeah, it was a good one last year. Well, I'll, I'll put links to all I that mean, stuff. It's amazing how many there are. And then I'm actually mapping the mine with mushrooms in Toronto. They've okay. made the grave mistake of having me MC that one. When's uh, that? That is... September like 21st or something okay 22nd. so a couple so of months yeah it's amazing how these have proliferated it's just insane it's every like year mushrooms. every year since like 
th- this has just exploded from the its inception, I think, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, where I mean, there's I'm gonna link to all the usual spots, but <coughs> where are you guys most, you know, accessible, most responsive? If people want to, I got all my plugs you ready to go. You. Yeah. If you go to Shane Moss M A U S S dot com, you will see. Uh, you can check out my documentary about psychedelics, psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. There's also uh, sp- uh, other comedy specials and stuff like that, but my main show that I'm touring with at the moment is called Stand Up Science, which is two comedians and two scientists <coughs> on the same show. So it's half comedy sets, half um, academic talks, like TED Talks, and then my uh, my baby, my uh, the love of my uh, life right now is my own podcast, Here We Are, where I interview a different scientist each week about how the mind works and things like cognitive biases and psychology and sociology and behavioral economics and, and those sorts of things. And it's my favorite thing in the world to do. I love podcasting. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're more than welcome. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, and, y- and yourself? Where's yeah, I, I, have, I have a much less impressive and rehearsed roster of plugs, sadly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, uh, adamstrauss.com. I mean, my main... or. I have a show called, I was going to say best known, that sounds arrogant, but it probably is true. It's a show called The Mushroom Cure, which is the yeah. true story of how I tried to cure my OCD with psychedelics. Um, so that plays various places, themushroomcure.com, adamstrauss.com. And yeah, if you go to those two websites, you'll you'll see what I have going sure. on. Awesome. Well, um, guys, thanks a million. It was, it was I had a blast. Yeah, likewise. Uh, it's very different to the ones I've done before. I've got a whole lot of bunch of work to do now uh, i don't you know what i'm better that's it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah we'll definitely do this again sometime and, and that'd I be great we'll yeah. sit down next time we're yeah, on the horizons awesome. thank guys. you